Welcome to EdMed Talks. I'm Dr. Adam DeVico, an educator. And I'm Dr. Jacqueline DeVico, a pediatrician. And we're your husband-wife duo for all things parenting. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4, where we'll be talking about grief. So this is a very personal topic to me, not only as a pediatrician, not only as a parent, but as someone who personally experienced grief at a young age. Children sometimes lose grandparents, lose a pet, and unfortunately, sometimes children even lose their parents. And that is something I went through. And oddly enough, um, we just sent our son to, you know, I think he's on his second day of middle school, starting sixth grade, 11 years old. And that is the same grade and age that I was in when my father died. He was in a plane crash, a big commercial U.S. airplane crash uh, that happened just north of Pittsburgh. Um, was flying from Chicago. He was on a work trip. And the evening he was supposed to come home, we were watching the news and saw reports of a plane crash happening. And I remember kind of sitting there with my mom and my younger brother. And I'm assuming someone must have called my mom to kind of tip her to turn on the news because it, it took a little bit to kind of figure out what had happened. Um, but mom finally, after being very upset and crying, kind of calmed down enough to tell me and my brother that, that my father was on that plane crash. And, you know, middle school is a really tough time to start um, in the first place, let alone, you know, not even a month into middle school to lose a parent. Even getting up and out of bed and going to school was hard um, some days, but keeping, keeping a sense of routine in my family, um, especially the act of actually going to school, was often pretty helpful. Um, it was, you know, a tough time for my mom and me and my younger brother. Um, I remember uh, so many people coming over to our house, so many people bringing so much food and fruit baskets and flowers. I remember my mom crying a lot and me being 11 years old at the time, you know, I almost felt like I, I had to hold it in when she was upset. I felt like, you know, I had to be the temporary adult when, when she couldn't be. And, you know, uh, a year or so passed and uh, just as things started kind of developing to, you know, I know this phrase is overused now with the pandemic, but the new normal, um, unfortunately, my mom uh, got sick with the flu which then turned into pneumonia, which then turned into something called ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome. Um, some of you might have heard a lot of that on the news relatively recently because it's a pretty common way for people who contract a COVID-19 virus to pass or die. But that is what happened to my mom. And a year and four months later, after my dad had passed, um, January of my seventh grade year of school, my mom died after spending about a week and a half in the hospital. And so, you know, my brother and I were in a weird way, officially orphans. And that was a confusing, odd, scary time for us. Um, my mom's parents, um, that set of grandparents had flown down from Rhode Island, come take care of us for the rest of the school year. And then that summer, um, my brother and I kind of stayed with another set of grandparents, sometimes stayed with my aunt and uncle, and kind of moved back and forth between different houses before um, finally being 
you know, officially adopted and moving in with my aunt and uncle, my dad's brother, his wife, and then two cousins. And so going through that level of grief as an adolescent was awful and hard. And I, you know, one thing I feel as a pediatrician, it's, it's kind of shaped me into who I am. And what I hope to try to do is to use my past experience to help others go through similar things. You know, when I first met Jacqueline, we were, we were in our young 20s. And I look back now and I realize how closely removed she was from that. I don't think I really realized, realized it at the time. Because, you know, it, it was probably had been maybe 10 years or so. Could have been maybe even a little bit less. But, you know, I, I, I always thought it was, you know, ancient ago, long ago in her life. But really, I mean, it was still very fresh in her mind and her life when we first met. And I didn't always understand at that time why sometimes she would just break down or or cry or you know just need alone time and because uh, I, I I truly hadn't experienced too much of that I, you know I lost I had lost three of my four grandparents before I was even really born or, or I was very young and then one of them I had lost in middle school but that's no comparison to to a parent of course two parents yeah yeah and one thing that I think I ended up having to kind of explain to Adam in our relationship is that grief isn't, it's not something that is a constant. It's something that kind of comes through you in waves. And sometimes there's big, important events that will remind you, hey, your mom and dad aren't here. Getting married, having a baby, prom, graduating high school, graduating college, graduating medical school. You know, it's it's hard because every major event in my life always has this little cloud in the back of my head telling me, ooh, you know who should be here but's not? Mom and dad. But sometimes it's it's the strangest thing that will come out of nowhere and it will be so seemingly minor. I remember I was filling out college applications and often in college applications it asks you to list your parents names and sometimes you know I think now most college applications say parent slash guardian but at the time it just said parent and so sometimes it was a little difficult to figure out okay did they actually want my parents names because then when asked where did they go to college what information about them or guardians and I remember one particular college application really did not make the distinction clear and so I started filling it out one way and then it didn't really have any options for if your parents are deceased and so and then I started scratching it out and writing down guardian and it just filling out that college application was so emotional for me that I ripped it up threw it away and I did not even apply to that college and something as minor as that can be a triggering event for somebody who's had significant grief in their life. Yeah, and I've seen, you know, now that Jacqueline and I have been together for, uh, what, almost 20 years now, you know, I, I see the things that can trigger those. And, you know, I, I think I've learned a little bit better on how to help and, and be there for her. But it was definitely hard early on. 
And I think now that we're at an age where, you know, we, we are experiencing several, many of our friends in our circles and our age span where we are starting to lose parents. Uh, I think it's becoming a little bit more, uh, the, the empathy is a little bit easier to connect to, but definitely it was hard at first understanding uh, just where Jacqueline was coming from, but uh, it definitely uh, shapes who you are and I'm sure it has shaped Jacqueline in many ways as she has mentioned. And when somebody has a significant loss in their life, really depending on, I'll say, how old they are or kind of what stage they're in in childhood can really not only shape a person but kind of determine how that person reacts. And so I remember personally, so being 11 and 12, I remember part of my coping strategy was to pretend that it didn't actually happen. I remember thinking to myself, well, my dad worked for the government. It was in engineering, not the FBI or in any kind of police work or spy type nature at all. But in my head, oh, he worked for the government. So he must have faked his own death to go on some secret mission. And then he missed my mom so much that he had her fake her own death too. And so they were off somewhere. And I knew being 11 and 12, I knew that wasn't actually true, but often I would slip into that storyline to tell myself that that was what's happening. So I didn't have to bear 100% of the grief. And that's pretty typical for kids around that age. Um, Often, you know, in younger ages, kids don't fully understand. So if we take kids and we kind of break them up into different age ranges. So if we're talking about, you know, the toddlers and babies under two and three years old, you know, they're not going to recognize death. They're not going to have any real understanding of what actually happened. However, young children, even babies, even newborns can very strongly sense emotions around them. And so if a family is stressed, that child feels stressed. If a family is grieving, that child's grieving. I talk about this a lot in my workshops when I uh, talk about like interpersonal skills and social skills. I talk about from a research standpoint, we're reading faces all the time. We do this in our life daily. We don't do it uh, consciously, but subconsciously we are looking at, well, is this person happy? Are they sad? And this starts from an early age. When, when we're babies, we have that whole, you talk about fight or flight uh, situation. And we're doing that heavily on what we see in people's faces. So yeah, it makes total sense that babies can read the emotions of the adults. And then starting maybe about two, three, or a little bit older, children can start to get a sense of what's going on, but not fully understand. And at this point, I always tell families, because as a pediatrician, I will often have parents ask me, how do I tell my child? How do I talk about this? What do I do? And even starting two, three years old, I really encourage families to use the actual words, death died, because gone to sleep or passed away is confusing. And especially a lot of times, adults will use the terms passed peacefully in their sleep. To adults, that is calming. That tells you, hey, the person that I lost, you know what? They didn't feel any pain. They they died in probably the best way that somebody can die, just in their sleep. But to a child, 
what that's going to do is that's going to give them a fear of going to sleep. So I strongly, strongly encourage families to not use the term sleep, going to sleep or past, especially in young children when talking about death. Now, a little bit of that kind of magical thinking that I talked about, um, that is pretty common in the later preschool and early elementary school years. The difference is, while I was in middle school, I thought those things, but I always knew that they weren't actually true. Four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-olds, they will often believe that these magical stories and magical thinking can be true. And so... They, they don't understand the finality of that. And so they will often kind of sporadically ask questions. Oh, well, so-and-so died. But when can we go visit them again? Yeah, we see this a lot in the younger grades. Uh, I see it frequently in kindergartners, especially with pets. Oftentimes I'll hear a kindergartner say, you know, my puppy, you know, they went to a, an, another house. Or, uh, you know, we, we, I think it's an old adage, but it's like, you know, taking out back to the farm or something like that. And, you know, as adults, you kind of understand that context. But to a kid, that's very literal. Remember, children are very literal. literal. And so saying these types of analogies to kind of beat around the bush, yeah, the kids are going to kind of believe it. And so I frequently have experienced this in uh, in the form of pets, mostly. Uh, and, and young kids get very, very emotional about pets dying. Uh, but occasionally we've seen this with parents or grandparents uh, as well. And then interestingly enough, as you get towards kind of mid to late elementary school, early middle school, children often have this odd kind of fascination with death, dying, spooky natured. Halloween is often a favorite holiday after Christmas, of course, at this age. And it's almost as though it is a game to children instead of something sad that's actually happening. Well, and you think about pop culture as well, and there's just so much talk uh, in movies and television and uh, who's going to die in the scary movie and who's going to die in the cartoon or be you know written off or whatever and so it's a bit of a folklore or pop culture reference as well and for better for worse I suppose that takes away some of the mystery around uh, someone dying but certainly it it does not help the true impact when someone actually dies often in middle school and above children who experience a significant loss will follow that you know we talk about that fight flight or freeze mentality they'll often freeze they'll often try to hold in all of their emotions be very embarrassed if they show sadness at all and I know that's what I did as a child I would hold it in hold it in hold it in especially that time period after my dad had passed and before my mom I would try to hold it in as much as I could because I in a sense I felt like I had to be the parent for her or I didn't want to embarrass myself at school. But then what would happen is I'd hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, and then all of a sudden it would just explode out of me in this embarrassing, crying, panic attacks, almost the complete opposite of what I had wanted at the time. I remember personally, I had mentioned before that my grandmother had passed when I was in middle school. She had Alzheimer's, so that was a you know a process. We saw the decline and deterioration of her uh, over the course of at least a couple years, if not more. And so I distinctly remember freshman year of high school. So this is at least a year or two after she had 
had, uh, had died. Uh, freshman year of biology, we had watched a video, uh, I'm sure it was part of a lesson or something, on Alzheimer's. And for whatever reason, I mean, it just like triggered me. And, I, and much like Jacqueline, I had kind of held it in, held it in, held it in, and, and had been doing kind of just fine. I, you know, in many ways, I just kind of kept moving on. But seeing that video like triggered something, and I just like lost it. I, had, I remember I was in, uh, after that class, I was in art class, and... I was just like, I got to go. And so I just kind of like left the classroom and uh, a couple friends came after me. A teacher certainly understood after she learned what happened. But that, that was really the first time I can remember reacting to, to a death and uh, certainly first time I had to experience it in my life. Yeah, in middle school, because it was such big news, when I went to middle school, it was sixth through eighth grade, uh, all the teachers knew. Um, a lot of them actually showed up at my dad's my my dad's funeral and my mom's funeral later, which was you know very very nice and appreciated to see. They I think understood um, would allow me to kind of leave class. I remember missing quite a bit of one of those little electives. I forget whether it was home ec or an art class or something. And they knew how important grades were to me, so I'm pretty sure they just kind of let me slide by and not let me and not require me to finish what I needed to, to let me keep my A in the class because A's were so important to me. Yeah, Jacqueline's uh, quite the, the studious one here. So I think most teachers probably knew her, her academic success. But, you know, as a teacher, you're no stranger to this type of stuff. I mean, if you've been in the profession, you have had students who have lost people. And certainly in Jacqueline's case, you know, that, that's kind of a big thing with two parents in a matter of a year and a half. But, you know, as educators, we do try to um, you know, support and do whatever we can. The biggest thing, if you're a parent of a child who is going through something like this, the best thing you could do to help uh, your child is, is communicate. Clearly communicate with the school, with the teacher, let them know, you know, hey, it, it, was, it was a tough morning. You know, we're still grieving. We, you know, we're probably going to need a little bit of space or time. Teachers, administrators, they're going to understand. You know, when you put in everything into the grand scheme of things, a small assignment that they're going to miss is not going to matter. Uh, But at the same time, and I'm sure Jacqueline could talk more to this, she mentioned routines. And so, you know, as an educator, I also like to talk to parents about routines and say, you know, when they're ready, Let's try to get them back into the swing of things because, you know, you get accustomed to a certain pattern. You got your friends there every day. You go through, you know, predictable uh, motions each day and that can help kids move on as well. Yeah, I, with both my parents' deaths, don't think I took very long off of school just because I needed to get back to school. It was miserable being at home, constantly having these thoughts and thoughts kind of running through my head and school was a welcome distraction. And it was nice in middle school. Teachers were accommodating. I remember at one point we were reading the book Hatchet, which I think starts out with a plane crash. It's been Mm -hmm. a while since I've read it, but the teacher kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, this is what's planned in the curriculum. Is this going to be okay for you? Is there a separate book that you would like to do? Do you want to, you know, step out of class? And of course, the last thing I wanted to do in middle school was draw more attention to myself, especially negative attention. So I said no and kind of stuck with it. But I I do appreciate that teacher, you know, helping. Um, I also remember 
the teachers being very supportive um, uh, when other kids would, I don't know, just kind of ask rude questions or taunt me a little bit. There was a local news article that came out um, that basically had implied that my mom's death was almost a Juliet, like Romeo and Juliet type scenario. She couldn't bear to live without my dad alive. Despite the fact that, especially at the time, most adults, if they developed ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome, did not survive. We didn't have that thing called ECMO then that maybe saved some lives. It was very, very deadly. But newspapers came out saying that she couldn't bear to live and that's why she you know lost her will to live and so I had a lot of kids asking me about this and I really do appreciate the middle school teachers kind of stepping in and helping Um, it was a little different by the time I got to high school a much bigger place and most of the faculty didn't know I remember started kind of yelling at one science teacher who for whatever reason we were talking about the flu and the teacher was saying nobody dies of the flu and I think the teacher was probably just trying to reassure children in the class like hey most healthy high schoolers do not however that was a huge trigger for me and I just started yelling at the teacher that yes people do die of the flu and and truthfully it's actually very much still true it's one of the top 10 reasons people die now so I um you know I think Uh, One thing that really helped me from an educator standpoint was just those teachers having that that grace and understanding. Yeah, and as uh, as you got older, I know you employed just various strategies uh, to kind of help you you in those tough times. I know you've you've done some speaking on it. You know, you've had occasions where you've spoken to friends and. Uh, you've been very open with it with people. You've never really shied away from talking about this with people. No, because as I said, that's that's a part of me. And I think the more open and honest you can be with others, then the more they understand you. And I think the more that they eventually respect you. And I think I think that's helped me as a pediatrician. If I have a patient that's lost a parent, I usually do share kind of quietly and quickly because I do not want to turn the attention back to me that, hey, this happened to me too. Now, what I often don't do is most of the time I'll have a patient that has lost a mom or a dad. So what I typically do is I will say, you know what? I was 11 when I lost my dad too. Or I'll say, you know, I was 12 when I lost my mom too. I usually don't tell them I lost both just because, again, I don't want to put in that child's head, oh my goodness, I haven't thought about losing the other parent. And I don't want to turn it into a scenario about me when it is clearly about that child. But I just, I remember feeling so lonely in middle school. And I think middle school is such a lonely time to begin with, but feeling that I was the only one, there was nobody else like me, nobody else went through what I did. And luckily nowadays with social media and and groups, I think it's probably a little bit easier to find networks and people who who are going through similar things uh, because you're right. I mean, it's not typical that a that a child would lose two parents in a matter of a year and a half. And so, uh, finding support groups, counseling when uh, when the parent or the child feels that might be helpful. Uh, I know you've done some writing as well. You've written, I think, didn't you do poetry or something uh, to? 
share some of those things? Yes. Um, and, you know, when I talk to parents about counseling, I, especially in adolescence and teenage years, I always ask the patient if that's something that they want to do. The reason is there has to be some willingness on the participant for counseling to be beneficial. I remember after, actually no, it was after my mom died, I was in my head forced into counseling and it was not a great fit. I remember the counselor seemed to talk to me like I was, quote, a baby. Now in hindsight, that probably wasn't the case, but that's how I felt as a 12-year-old. And so I remember going into those counseling sessions. Uh, This was a time in school when mock trials were, like, popular. We used to do those in the class. And I was pretending I was a witness being (laughs) cross-examined. And I would sit there. So barely answer questions, give them as little information as possible. And that's how I would play that game. And I think that was part of that, kind of distancing myself from grief. Really, instead of trying to deal with it at the time, kind of push it off until I was at a point where I was mentally strong enough to handle it. And I remember there was a point where I think my grandparents realized that counseling wasn't going well. And my grandma had asked me, and remember, this was back in the 90s. She was going to give me $20 per session to continue going. And I said no. So that tells you how much I did not want to be there. Especially if you know Jacqueline. She, Jacqueline's pretty cheap. And so for her to turn down 20 bucks, that's pretty impressive. But I can definitely see you turning into the uh, the witness, just pleading the fifth and stuff and just staying quiet. I, I, if you know Jacqueline, that's definitely something she could pull off there. Yeah. I do remember, though, there when I was in middle school, there was one uh, PE teacher. Um, her name was Miss Cheneau. And she had, now uh, she was probably an adult when she lost both of her parents because um, she was much older and I believe she's uh, deceased now. But I would often go talk with her. And that was probably the best form of therapy that I had. And I think just because she chatted with me, like I was almost like I was a peer. And I don't think she said anything inappropriate or not at a middle school level. But she didn't try to baby me and was just kind of honest and let me get off feelings that were on my chest. And I think that was probably the most beneficial thing for me at the time. So that's a message for... You know, kids to find that person, adult, peer, whatever that they trust and feel comfortable with in these grieving situations. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, this very personal episode. I know in many of our our, uh, podcasts, we get to talk a little bit broader about just kind of research-based strategies and things that we have experienced uh, from a professional standpoint. But we felt today's episode was really a good opportunity for Jacqueline specifically to share just that very personal experience and uh, maybe connect with some of you who have lost people or are maybe you know in that age now where you might be getting to uh, have to have to deal with that. So as we always say, there's no such thing as the perfect parent, but you can be the perfect parent for your child.